Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today comes from Luke's gospel. It's in chapter 18, beginning with the first verse. Listen now to the Word of God. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. And He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people, And in that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out continually by coming. And the Lord said, Listen, to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to His chosen ones who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long in helping them? I tell you, He will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? And this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson this morning comes from the prophecy of Jeremiah in the 31st verse. Let us listen that we may hear what God is sharing with us this day. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with seeds of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overflow, overthrow, to destroy, to bring evil. So I will watch over them to build up and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will, be like, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them from the hand, uh, by the hand to the, bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of these to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Today in worship, we're concluding a series of of sermons that has been based on the prophet Jeremiah and Lamentations. 
the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations are set when the children of Israel are facing an, an apocalypse of sorts. They have been defeated in battle. They have been uh, taken, portions of their population have been taken hundreds of miles away to a foreign city. They have been made captives, and they don't know when it's all going to be over. We know the rest of the story, as it were. We know that Persia defeats Babylon, and Cyrus lifts up the children of Israel and returns them to their promised land, but they didn't know that when they were on the front end of that. And I must say that that sense of unknowing, that sense of foreboding is something that I have sensed in the world. I have seen on television and in con heard in conversations. Our political and our social discourse, our, even in church, we have been reduced to almost, it seems, like a series of Twitter exchanges. We have arrived at a place where we believe what we believe because we believe it, um, not simply in faith, but in politics and in science and in history. So often we seem to ignore other voices of, of information because we don't want to deal with them. So often when we hear a certain pe person speak, we, we shut them out. I would imagine that you may have seen or know somebody who changes the radio station or changes the television station or scans over to another article on the internet when something pops up that you really don't want to deal with. I'm sure none of you have done that, but I will confess that I have. So this sermon series began with that own personal and what I perceive to be a situation in our community and in our world. And the experience of the Jews facing an unknown future seemed to say, there's a lot of similarity here. We don't know how things are going to turn out now, but somehow we need to lean into a hope that, that they will turn out well for us. Our nation, of course, has not been defeated in battle, and we thank God for that. Um, but there is, in our public discourse, there is a fear of that sort of thing. As Christians, we are free to gather and worship, and there is, on the other hand, a fear in some circles of being constrained by our ability to affirm our faith and to engage in meaningful conversation in the public square because of that. As a nation, and as a subset of that nation, particularly gathered here in this worship space today, we have been extraordinarily blessed in so many ways. I love that word, extraordinary extraordinarily blessed in so many ways in our lives. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that we have been privileged in so many ways that speak to our experience. But there are variations and gradations. There is no doubt to that. We all have experienced illnesses and deaths and misfortunes and turn of situations. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the sun will shine both on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain will fall on the just and the unjust. Theologically, we affirm that we are made in the image of God, and because of that, we claim an equality for all of humanity. 
yet we also realize that not everyone has the same skill set to engage the world. A 20-year-old person has the ability to attain an athletic prowess that those of us who are north of 40 may not quite have. Yeah? Yeah. And you push the age up even further and, well, we won't even go there. So, for the last several weeks, the questions have been, where, who do we listen to? What voice do we hear? How do we find a way to move forward? How much faith really is enough? And what does just a little bit of faith look like and what will it produce? And how do we make ourselves at home? Even if we are looking at the possibility of being expropriated, how did the Israelites make themselves at home in such a way that they made a difference? And how do we, in 2016, in Columbus, Georgia, make ourselves at home here so we can make a difference in the world that God has given us? Today, the Scripture from Jeremiah speaks about a new covenant, a new hope, a new way of living and a relating to God and to the world and to each other. Yet the passage from Luke reminds us that many of the old challenges will continue to remain. Penny, 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 penny. Some of you may recognize that. I see some knowing eyes sparkling. That is a part of the shtick from the TV comedy The Big Bang Theory. I'm not sure I should admit to watching it or not, but I have on occasion. And the knock comes from one of the characters, Sheldon, who is his own person, shall we say. Um, There are critiques of that show because some critics say it objectifies people or a variety of other reasons to criticize it. But, but that, in, that incessant knocking that Sheldon does on his neighbor Penny's door speaks to a reality that echoes from Luke 18. The judge responds not because he does it from the goodness of his heart or the conviction that justice ought to be done for the woman who is knocking, the judge responds because he knows that if he does not respond, he will not get any sleep. Similarly, Penny answers Sheldon because she knows he will not quit. Such a focus is a testimony that things in the world around us are changing and and must be acknowledged. And unless we acknowledge them, we cannot engage them. Unless we say we understand and we, not that we understand, but say that we appreciate what's going on or, or see what's going on or engage what's going on, we can't be part of the conversation afterwards. Admiral Jim Stockdale was a prisoner of war in North Vietnam from 1965 to 1973. He survived that imprisonment, that brutal imprisonment, and he returned to the United States. He became engaged in academics. He was the uh, president of the Citadel for a period of time and later um, 
part of the, the Hoover Institution in California. He became involved in politics. He was the vice presidential candidate for Ross Perot in 1992. He was interviewed on any number of occasions, and he wrote books and articles. From all of that, those writings and those thinkings has come to be known something as the Stockdale Paradox. It was based on his experience as a prisoner of war. He knew as a POW that hope was required for himself and for his comrades who were also imprisoned. Hope sustained them in their dark times. Yet at the same time, it was absolutely necessary to confront the reality that they were thousands of miles from home in an unpopular war almost as if they were forgotten. To confront that reality and to confront the, brutal, the brutality of his captors was to acknowledge that things were awfully dark. How do you hold on to hope in the midst of that brutal reality? Collins survived those years in prison. There were others who did not. In an interview with Jim Collins, who was an author and a, a writer for a book called Good to Great, um, Stockdale shared that many of those who did not survive had hope. They all had hope. But the difference between the hope that Stockdale had and what he perceived in some of the others was that they would fix their hope on a particular date. We're coming up to Christmas. Surely there will be a prisoner release. We're coming to Easter, or we're coming to some other date, and there would be a release. But there were no releases. And the hearts of those men who held on to those dates was broken. And the way Stockdale put it is, they died of a broken heart. He continued, you can never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Jim Collins summarized this in what he calls the Stockdale Paradox, and he puts it this way, retain faith that you will prevail in the end regardless of the difficulties and at the same time confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Retain faith and confront brutal facts. That came to my mind this week as I pondered Jeremiah's words, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after days, after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be no, my people." No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, 
from the least to the greatest, for I will, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Looking into the abyss of captivity, the children of Israel were given a vision for something different, for something better, for some law that would not be simply written on a slab of stone, but in their hearts, for some way of living with each other and with the world. This new vision, this new law, is not fixed on a particular calendar. It is not calculated by saying, here is a checklist of things that must happen before you can return for your deliverance. No, Jeremiah says clearly, all shall die for their sins. Yet, yet there is something more. There is a law that is written on your hearts that will hold you and sustain you even in the midst of those deepest, darkest places. You will discover more as you journey down that faith. So go to this land that is far away. Go to this place where you are being taken. Have your children marry and bear children. Become engaged in the commerce and the activity of the, of the land. This is all in Jeremiah. Engage in that place so that you may be a blessing to that place and you will be a blessing to the larger community and to the larger world. What does that mean for us today, though? That's fine to say that happened in 587 B.C., but what does it mean today? How do we live with this covenant that is written on our hearts? How do we confront the brutal realities that are around us? A couple of brutal realities I want to speak of is one of them is that we are in the election season, and without endorsing anybody, I think it is a fair statement to, to make that somebody who is running for some office that you do not like will be elected, probably. It could be president, or it could be dog catcher, but it's the reality that's out there. That possibility is depressing to a lot of people. It seems that both major party candidates for president have their detractors who are so intense in their negative feelings toward the opponent that they cannot abide the thought that their opponent might win. I've heard that. Have y'all? Yeah. We cannot, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a language out there that is full of animus and, and vitriol and hatred even. But one of them, but somebody's going to win. And, and what's going to happen when we wake up on the day after the election? What's going to happen then? We live in a world that is shaped, we live, we live under a, a, a system of government that is shaped by a conviction that there is something called the separation of powers. And there's a system of checks and balances. And that is something that is taught in basic civics courses and in citizenship classes, and we all listen to. But there's a way in which that really is a gift from the Calvinist Christian theological tradition. Because if I put it in my own words, it's this, this notion that if we are left, if we humans are left to our own devices, 
we are going to make choices for our own benefit at the expense of other people. And there's a way in which that's part of the definition of sin because sin is to seek our own way, ignoring the good and just and right for others and ignoring our relationship with God. It's all kind of balled up in there for Presbyterians. So on that day after the election, we face the task as a nation in the world of trying to figure out what this new journey is going to be. And I'm not making any predictions. I don't know. And I'm not endorsing. I'm just saying we live with this unsettling reality. 60 years from now, who knows what's going to happen? We can look back 60 years and measure where we have come from, but 60 years as the children of Israel experienced in the period of captivity, they were in a different place. And I dare say, I hope that we will be in a different place as well. We will be in a place of being able to live fulfilling promise and hope. But we also have challenges even here in our own spaces, in our church, in our homes, in our community. We have challenges. And it's fair to say that the world in 2017, in our church and in our homes and in our, real, in our community, is not like the church that, will be in, that was in 2015. Two years, the world has changed dramatically. I don't know exactly what the future is going to hold, look like, but I do know that it's going to be different. And we need to continue and to lean into that with hope. Shakespeare wrote in one of his, in, in The Tempest, the past is prologue. And that's not simply a definition or a, 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 a resolve that things will not change. It is a way for us to attain a prism by which we can look into the future. Yvonne Chirond, who was the founder of the Patagonia company that makes outdoor equipment and clothing, is a quote that says, there is no difference between a pessimist who says, oh, it's hopeless, so don't bother doing anything, and the optimist who says, don't bother doing anything, it's going to turn out all right. Either way, nothing happens. There is a power and a wisdom that harkens back to something in the Stockdale paradox and to the prophecy from Jeremiah. It's not that we don't do anything. It's that we look at the world through the prism and the life and the heart of God that has been given to us through the prophecy of Jeremiah and as Christians we claim through the hope of Jesus Christ. For that is what, what we know. Our church community is different today than it was even a year ago. But that does not mean we are simply to be where we are. We had, can lean into that hope. We acknowledge that we are not where we were. We acknowledge there are brutal realities. Yet we claim and we hold on to that hope. What makes a difference is to allow that hope to create a vision, to shape our vision that is not one of desperation or magical thinking. The difference is to take the gifts and the skills and the wonder 
that we have available with each other in our nation and in our church community and in our families to make connections, to make things come together for wholeness. In the church, we do that through Jesus Christ as we make our connections there. Let us allow the covenant of hope that was written into the hearts of the Israelites and that we too may listen to and receive. Let that hope remind us that we, where we have come from, and even support us as we look into a future that is uncertain in order that the places we do go will be places where we can take and share the joy and the grace and the goodness that God has made. In the beginning of Genesis, the creation story of Genesis 1, after each day, there is a refrain that comes back, and God said that it was good. Creation is a good thing, and God views the creation as a good work, as a good place. Our opportunity, our choice, our chance is to engage that so that we too may live into that hope we may live into that reality of goodness that God has created, even knowing all around there are challenges. Let us not allow those challenges to prevent us from claiming the hope so that we share what we are able to share, when we are able to share it, in the place where we are now. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.